Uh, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to worship with you here today. I want to thank Pastor Suarez for the invitation uh, to come and talk with you about a, the significance and some portions of this thing we call prayer. You know, what is prayer? Well, it's the breath of the soul between you and God, right? At its most basic and blessed experience, it's, it's our communion with our Heavenly Father. I'm reminded that whenever someone in faith utters a thought or a word out of need to our Heavenly Father, God is right there ready to hear, ready to bless, ready to answer, ready to inspire, ready to help. I love that about God. He's not one step behind. He's right one step beside. He's with us. God with us. That's the promise of the new covenant, right? That's the promise. God with us. So I want to talk with you about that today. Uh, it's an honor to serve you. Uh, it's an honor to be here in Tallahassee. It's been a couple of years, actually, a few years since I was here last. It was an evangelistic series when Kayla Robinson was preaching from here. I came to support her, and um, but it was such a privilege to be here and get acquainted. I hadn't been out to Tallahassee before that, um, but it is, it is indeed an honor to, to be here in this part of the Florida Conference. Now, about prayer ministry in Florida, it may be of interest to you to know that we are beginning to organize prayer ministry in new ways. Whereas in recent years, we've had prayer convocations in various locations organized centrally from the conference office, our initiative now is to decentralize the leadership of prayer ministry and, in, and equip and prepare pastors to organize prayer ministries among the pastors of their region. Florida Conference has eight regions for election purposes, and so we've decided that we would have a pastor of each region organizing prayer convocations in every region, plus in three languages, uh, Spanish, uh, Portuguese, and, and Creole, or French. Creole and French, they kind of go together. Anyway, we have now nine, or I'm sorry, now 11 prayer ministry coordinators, plus two more who are like coaches for the prayer ministry coordinators of every church. And so in the future, we're looking forward to having convocations all over Florida, not organized by the office, but organized by the pastors in every region. The pastor who oversees the north region, in which Tallahassee is, is Brendan White. He's the pat. How many of you know Pastor Brendan White? Some of you do? No, you need to get him over here. <laughs> he, he would be able to preach an amazing message. We had a recent orientation with him and actually the other coordinators, and we had an amazing, amazing spiritual time together. I'm looking forward to seeing what God does as the ministry continues to develop. But I bring you greetings from the president, Alan Machado, and our treasurer, uh, Elisa Raming. I love working with these colleagues. They are uh, godly people. And um, I, I'm amazed at the level of their leadership, their uh, love for God, and their skill in what they do. And I just consider it a privilege to partner with them and our administrative committee. So I bring greetings to you from them. And uh, with that, I'd like to pray and invite you to um, listen for God's spirit. Father, we love you. 
today and we listen for your voice, may, uh, may our time together be one of revelation of your divine purpose in our hearts, in our lives, personally and collectively as a corporate church. We love you, Father, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So many years ago, when I was becoming a Christian as an adult, I listened to a lot of cassette tapes. <laughs> Anybody do that? <laughs> What's a cassette tape, right? <laughs> um, and one of my favorite teachers was a pastor named Charles Brooks, C.D. Brooks. Anybody know that name? There's a few hands. You know, some of the things that Elder Brooks preached in his evangelism and his teaching messages uh, are so inspiring and so powerful, and some of the things that he has taught, um, so practical, have helped me over the years understand God's will, God's purposes, how to read the Bible, how to understand certain things of Scripture. And one of, the, one of those teachings I want to share with you today and work through this principle, it is this, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You've heard that. Some of you have heard that phrase. So what does it mean? It means there's truth in the Old and New Testament. And that we understand that the, the Bible, its foundations are the Old Testament. We cannot understand the plan of salvation without understanding the Old Testament. Sure, we can read the New Testament only and understand certain things about, the, about Jesus, his sacrifice, his disciples, the growing church, etc. But we don't understand the, the significance and the depth of those things without the foundations of the Old Testament. Which means when we read the New Testament, it's like the lens of a camera or a microscope for that matter. Another way, uh, we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. So with the revelation that happened through Jesus Christ in the New Testament, we then begin to understand the Old Testament in new ways. Are we together? We understand that when it says God with us in Isaiah, we understand that it's now Jesus. So we look back through the lens of the New Testament, through the revelation of Jesus into the Old Testament, and now we understand the Old Testament. If, if it appears as though there's conflict, there is not, but if it appears that way, always look through the lens of the New Testament when reading the Old Testament. This is helpful to us. And it's with that background, that understanding, that I want to talk with you about two texts of Scripture today. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible handy, you want to open it up to Matthew 16, I want to share with you, uh, we'll start here, and this is going to be the lens, again, we're going to take this scripture, and we're going to take a look at this briefly, and set a framework for looking back into the Old Testament. So you ready? Matthew 16, this is an experience where the disciples and Jesus were in a place called Caesarea Philippi, where this is where Peter was given a revelation of God in this experience. Jesus had asked, who do men say that I am? And some said, well, some uh, a prophet or maybe uh, 
one of the Old Testament prophets come back to life, or, or, and he named several. He said, but who do you say that I am? And in that moment, a revelation of Jesus and his purpose was becoming clearer to Peter. And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately affirmed him, saying, yes, Peter, you are correct. And upon this rock, meaning himself, this, meaning this truth, this revelation, I will build my church, he said. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not, what's your Bible say? Prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. You will not build my church. I will build my church. The church is built by Jesus Christ. The church is people, not buildings, right? Am I, come on, church. Are we, 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 we together here? When I say the church, I think of you. I don't think of the, you know, the walls and the roof. I think of you. And I believe that's what Jesus is also saying. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's additional ways to understand this verse. In one sense, the gates of hell, now gates are static, right? They're not going anywhere. Yeah, think about the metaphor here. Think about what he's saying. Gates don't go anywhere. The church doesn't have to go anywhere near the gates, right? The gates don't attack. Gates are just gates. So what is he really saying here? Jesus, I believe, is saying that as the church moves into the community with the keys of the kingdom, notice he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, what's that? The keys of the kingdom is the gospel message that Christ died and rose again and that by through faith in him we have forgiveness of sins. Those are the keys of the gospel. How? Because when we receive those, the gospel message, there's, uh, we believe that by faith we are saved in God's kingdom. By faith we believe that he's redeemed us from, from our sin. That's the keys. It's unlocking from the prison house of sin and setting somebody free. If you have the gospel, you, you're carrying the keys of the kingdom. If you know the gospel, you have the opportunity to unlock someone out of a prison house by sharing the good news of Jesus. And that's not something just the pastor has. That's something any believer has. Are we together? All right, so watch, it. watch this now. Because as the, as the believer or believers go into the community with the gospel message... The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the church moves into the community and the gates of hell cannot withstand the movement of the church into the world. It breaks down strongholds. Prayer heals. It changes. It saves people from their sins. It changes governments. It brings about miracles in the land. It delivers food where it needs to go. It brings help and salvation. The church moving into the world with the good news of Jesus, using its resources for the kingdom of heaven, the gates of hell will break down with the movement of the church. Are we together? Okay. So now I want, with this concept, 
I would like you to go with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Many times this first few verses in the chapter are, um, are referenced to remind us that no one's too young to serve the Lord. And, and, and God knows us before we're born. Such a beautiful verse, but there's more. So watch what happens here in chapter 1. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. Don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that you're too young or too weak or too vulnerable. If the Lord calls, he's calling. He has a reason to call. God, and God blesses. He, he, he calls and then enables. He gifts the called. He doesn't call the gifted. He gifts the called. So do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and to say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Wow, that's quite, a, that's quite an assignment, Pastor. That's quite an assignment. Earlier in the chapter, we discover that Jeremiah was called during the reign or the years of Josiah the king. Now, Josiah, there's much good we read about Josiah, how the scriptures were found in the temple. Imagine that. They'd been lost, and yet they still had religion. How is that even possible? The scriptures had been lost. The scrolls were found and they, and they read the scriptures and a revival happens in Jerusalem. And, but the greatest revival was happening in Josiah. And Josiah ordered things to change. There needed to be changes in the community, in Jerusalem and the surrounding villages. And why? Because there was idolatry everywhere. You can read about this in 2 Kings. You can read the story of, of Josiah and his reforms and what was going on in the world at the time. Some of the things are, are so atrocious we don't even want to say them in public. Things that they did to their are you with me? I don't want to say it out loud. Or say it to, to their little children. Things too horrific to imagine is what was happening in the world back then. And idolatry was rampant. And Josiah began to reform. And he ordered his men to go throughout the villages and the towns and to tear down and burn those things and get rid of it and do a cleansing in Israel. It's an amazing thing. I mean, imagine that job, Pastor. <laughs> imagine that job. Imagine being the king, and that's your spiritual responsibility is to confront the idolatry in, around him. 
And now God lays this burden upon Jeremiah. Let's read it again. He said, the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth and see today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. It almost sounds like God is telling Jeremiah that his role is to continue the work of Josiah, of reform. It almost sounds like that. So how do we look at this verse through the lens that we just had in Matthew? How do we look at this verse? Is it possible that we can use this verse in Matthew of the gates of hell not prevailing against the growth of the church, the expansion of the church? Is it possible to look at this verse through that lens? In other words... God has called the church to go into the world to break down the barriers, to break down the strongholds, to bring transformation in communities, to bless lives, to restore marriages, to help sons and daughters, to pray for them, to restore them, to uplift them, and to, to bless them, not to hurt them, but to love them to Christ to love them in the faith. What is the work of the church today? Is it to tear down buildings? No. But it is to pray. Our Lord has said to us that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. What is the work of the church today? The work of the church today is to be on our knees or in our seats, or in our community, praying, God, show me where you want me to serve you today. And when you're aware of brokenness and situations, what's happening in our city maybe, or in our village next door, the, the complicated things that are happening in our towns, and even in this world. I was on a prayer call this, this, this week, first time, I, I'm not even sure how this happened, except I was talking with the former prayer coordinator for the North American Division, Ruthie Jacobson, some of you may know that name. She retired from that, but she did it for many years. She invited me to join a prayer call um, this, this, on Tuesday and, um, and to share a little bit. But what I found fascinating about that season of prayer, these were leaders from around all the North American Division that gathered at 11 o'clock to pray. But one of the things they prayed for, along with what's happening in the world, but they prayed for a particular country. Every day they would pray for a different country in the world. I find that beautiful. The country that they were praying for that day was the Republic of Congo. The craziness that's happening in that world. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a little raw to even mention in a worship service such as this the trafficking and all that goes with that, the horrors, reprehensible things. Well, my friends, when the church prays, God acts. We either believe he said, what he said is true, or where are we? 
I submit to you that the church is called to be a praying community to face the strongholds, to recognize them and pray about it. You, might, you and I might not take up you know, political things or, or uh, any kind of uh, strategic kind of thing that would hurt someone else or hurt some... Pro- That's not our responsibility. As a church, we have the privilege to go before the Lord of heaven and in fellowship and in Jesus' name. Watch this. When we pray in Jesus' name, it's his delight to answer. Do you know that that's what he said? In fact, he said, for John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, do, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go, isn't that, there it is, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will We'll give you. That's, that's fantastic. Okay, He's giving assignments. He's equipping. He's telling you things are going to happen. Why is this difficult for us? Because we can't see it. We can't always see the results of the prayers. We don't always aware that the, the outcome of what we're praying is actually being fulfilled in his purposes. Well, what do we know about this? We know that the, the battles that we fight are not battles against flesh and blood, but against what, church? Come on, about principalities and powers, right? Principalities and powers and things we don't see. You see, prayer is spiritual. It's, 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 it's not like you, you can see a tangible thing. You might. You might see a tangible thing happen. Imagine now becoming aware of a, of a family that's going through a crisis. And quietly, those who are aware of this begin to pray for that family. And then they take into action. Some action that goes with that prayer might be something like this. One or two of the families that are aware of this other family that's in a crisis, they, they decide to have a barbecue and invite them over to their home and have a little fellowship And then maybe a few weeks later, they go out to dinner, maybe have some breakfast. And along the way, maybe those that love this couple, this family, uh, just invite them to a Bible study or maybe just some fellowship. Keep it going and see how God is leading. You see, there is a tangible aspect of praying. There is an action we can do when we pray. I believe it's important to pray for the shoebox ministry that we just saw on the screen you know, a few minutes ago. Those little shoeboxes are going to go to a child and remind them that somebody loves them. And it's our Heavenly Father. And whenever possible, they put little, little th- things inside that shoebox to remind them of God's grace and mercy. I know a man I met a few years ago. My daughter was doing an internship with... Um, with a ministry called uh, Samaritan's Feet. Now, it's not associated with Samaritan's Purse, which is the shoebox ministry. It's called Samaritan's Feet. His name is Manny. Manny was a basketball player in, in, in Africa, and as he grew up, he got a scholarship in Northwest, I think it was in Washington State. And Manny got an opportunity to come to the States Manny, when he was a child, got his very first pair of shoes when he was eight years old. 
He received those shoes from a missionary. He remembered that. And now he's playing basketball here in this country and doing very well. He finished his college degree and went into business, had amazing business. And along the way, he felt the tension to do something for those who don't have shoes. He remembered the missionary spirit that came to him. And as a result, he decided to do something. And today he has warehouses around the country and other places in the world where they get shoe donations and they distribute them to people who need them. And the way it works is amazing because they'll, they'll have a gathering. In fact, I was at one just about two months ago in a homeless shelter in Orlando. Uh, a couple churches organized this to happen along with the, the homeless ministry there called SALT. And what happens is the chairs are facing each other in rows, about three, four rows of chairs facing each other. And there's a little tub of water underneath of, of the chair of the person serving. And so I sit down on my chair and underneath again is a little tub of water. And the person that's homeless comes in, sits down here. We get acquainted, we shake hands and we just get, you know, it's like, oh, how can I help you today? He's the man, thanks for the shoes. So I pull out the tub, he takes off his shoes. And, you know, those shoes have probably been on his feet for a while. You, you with me now? Take those shoes and socks off and wash his feet in the tub of water with some soap and, and, and spend some time with him. Put brand new antimicrobial socks on. Put a brand new pair of shoes on him. And if they're open to it, I'll pray with him. This is the stuff that changes lives. And it happens because somebody decided to do something. They decided to pray and do something. This is breaking down the barriers. One at a time. One at a time. Our work may not be this big thing that gets on the TV. In fact, it might be better if it doesn't. But that God's work would work individually through me and you and the people we associate with and begin to pray for it's amazing what happens when we see God answer prayer. But you know, I don't have to see the answer to know that God is working. Why? Because I believe his promise. I believe what he said. The Apostle Paul makes an appeal. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another and that you say that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is, this is an amazing prayer that the Apostle has for the church to have a new kind of unity when we're not looking at one another's vulnerabilities and mistakes and weaknesses, and everyone has one, because no sooner than we see the weakness in somebody else, we're actually looking in the mirror at ourselves, right? Isn't that really what's going on? We're seeing ourselves, we're seeing our own stuff when we see things in others. So rather than identifying weaknesses and vulnerabilities, regardless of someone's spiritual growth, let's just love up on them. Love them well. Pray for them. Begin to pray. Begin to love them. And you know why we need to pray? Because our children need prayer. They need our prayer. They need, they need our blessing. There are people that need to overcome the, the strongholds in their life. Break the habits. Break the fears that keep them from a vibrant, uh, full experience with God. To heal marriages. To defeat the devil on every front. 
You know, I like what Pastor Symbola says. He, he talks about, you know, if you can beat the, beat the devil on, on, on the midweek prayer meeting, you'll beat him everywhere else. That's an amazing thought. Our friends, we do well to be praying together. Uh, we, we cannot live in fear. But watch this now. We'll, we'll just need to move through this. We need to uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow. Years ago when I was pastoring in Maryland, uh, we hired uh, uh, someone to play keyboard for us of a church nearby. And uh, this dear person's name was uh, Pat Pheasant. Pat Pheasant. And Pat was a prayer, prayer, what's the right word? We use that word, don't we? It's like, <laughs> I think of, you know, a spear. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, okay, she's a prayer warrior. Let's use that one. Pat was a prayer warrior. She played keyboard beautifully. She helped contribute to our culture of spirituality and prayer in our congregation. It's a beautiful thing. I remember a testimony that she shared with us in our little worship team on an evening as we were preparing for Sabbath worship. She said, I've been driving once a month from Baltimore area across Route 70. And as I go this thing I need to do once a month, I pass by a building there that is, she says, I don't even want to tell you what happens in that building. But it's one of those things that has the word adult in front of it. Okay? You get the idea, right? Don't go too far with the idea. It's just, it's just the reality that this is something that was repulsive to her, offensive to her, and she knew that it was just doing damage. Whoever goes into that building, is, they're tearing themselves down and hurting themselves and hurting others. And she came under some major conviction, and she started, every time she made that trip, once a month, praying for that building, what's going on right there. She started praying every month, month after month, just consistently as she's approaching it, begin to pray, Lord, tear this thing up, do whatever's happening in there, make this change somehow, defeat the strongholds that are taking place there, heal those individuals that are going to this building one day it got so strong in her conviction that she actually parked her car next to the building and got out and walked around the building and prayed and prayed. This sounds silly, doesn't it? It kind of sounds silly almost. And if you read the story of Jericho, you kind of have that mindset, right? Anyway, she's going around this building praying, Lord, do something about this. <laughs> she, tells this she tells this story. It's amazing because... The end of the story is this. She said, last month I drove that road again and that building was gone. It wasn't there. I don't know what happened to it, but it's no longer there. <laughs> All right, one for the good guys, right? <laughs> one for the A-team, the angels, God's spirit. I don't know how that works. But wow, God answered a powerful prayer. What are the strongholds facing us today? What are the strongholds facing your church members? There's two more things about the text I need to just mention before we wrap up here because the apostle, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit or the Father in heaven speaks to Jeremiah and he gives them these four assignments to uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. But he gives them two more. 
And the last two are to build and to plant. Well, that's very different than, than tearing down, right? To build and to plant. Now, let's just take that, look at that for a moment, because when, when building something, it requires resources, materials. It requires skills. It requires an architect. It requires some planning. It, require, it requires some land, maybe. When you're going to build something, you've got to you know, plan this thing out, and you've got to pull it together, and you've got to put it on a time frame, and you've got to make sure it's sound, and, and it's going to be a good thing. It takes time to build something. And so let's keep this context of the New Testament lens through this. What is, what is it that's God calling the church to build today? What is it? How should we organize the church in such a way that we're building the kingdom of God? In fact, that is the motto, if you will, or the mission statement of Florida Conference right now. Building up the kingdom of God. We are to build the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means we need to get together and find out what resources we have. What do we have? What can we do? What has God entrusted to us to build? It's a beautiful thought. I don't know what that is, but together it will emerge as you pray. You'll know. The second one is to plant. Now that's, wow, planting. Any gardeners here? Any gardeners? Do you plant stuff? You know, I love to plant stuff. My wife and I do. We uh, planted some bananas some years ago, and they, they, a hurricane wiped them out, and, and, but they all came back, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Love those bananas. But watch what's happened here. He says you've got to plant. Now there's something significant about planting. The, the farmer knows that in order to plant next year, it's essential that you save some of this year's harvest so that you can plant next year. Now, uh, how much that is, I don't know. How much, I mean, to plant an acre of corn, how much seed do you need to have? I'd love to do some research and find that out. But what is the church planting? What, were the, what is God calling the church to plant? And it's going to take some of this year's harvest. Are we harvesting? Are we collecting? Do we have a storehouse for those resources, whatever that may be, with a vision toward the future of what God's going to do? I mean, let's think about this. Let's, let's plan long. The farmer wants to plan long, not just this year, but next year as well, and the year beyond that, and then rotate the crops. There's a lot of good husbandry that comes into this concept of planting. God has called the church to not only tear down and face the strongholds in this world around us, but to build and to plant. God is a, a God of restoration. He's a God of uh, creation. And he delights when his people gather their resources and build something for the kingdom of heaven. This building right here represents a vision and a dream for the city of Tallahassee. I believe that you have a tremendous opportunity to continue to fill these seats with people who are, need to be saved for the kingdom of heaven. And God has given us the gift of prayer Okay, watch this. We try to attract people with our services and great music and great preaching. Friends, that's all good and fine, but the, the, the way forward is praying. 
It's going to be when we pray. The spirituality of the body of Christ will transition into a beautiful, beautiful, attractive experience, not only in, in each one of us, but collectively. When people say, I, I, I just want to be a part of this. I spoke to this dear sister right back here. I didn't get your name. She's wearing a nice red outfit. <laughs> she said she came here in 2005 and it was so nice. She's never left, never gone anywhere. That's the experience. That's it. You've, you experience love and receptivity. That's it. That's the stuff that warms our hearts and prepares us for God's future. God's purposes. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do we fear those things? No. No. Because you call in the name of Jesus. When you sense darkness around you, call in the name of Jesus. When you're, when you're around someone hearing the story of their brokenness, pray with them. Invite them to pray. How do we do that? It's delicate. I admit it's delicate. I'm reminded of a time when I was working in construction. This was a, several years before I studied for the ministry. We were putting up a, structural, a structure for the, uh, the Navy in um, just south of Washington, D.C. Big steel structure. I was the foreman on the job pushing this 70, I don't know, 10, 20 million dollar job. And, um, and we were at lunch in our little trailer, our little trailer where I keep the blueprints and so forth. And uh, the, our crew, these iron workers, now iron workers are, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been around an iron worker, <laughs> but they got a way about them. <laughs> and, 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 and anyway, we're in this gang of guys and this two, two different experiences happened from that. One of them continued to take the name of the Lord in vain constantly, all the time. I mean, it was always, whatever he was saying, he was taking the Lord's name in vain. And one day he didn't realize that I was, I was a Christian. I wasn't trying to overtly, you know, do, you know, say things, but just, just living like one. Sometimes we do that. And when he learned that I was a Christian, one day he said, Oh, I'm sorry. Does, does that bother you? His name was John. And I said, John, it's not a question of whether it bothers me. And then he began to realize that it's not about me. It's about you. <laughs> you and God. Our relationship warmed up from that point. Pray for John. He's an amazing guy. There's more stories about him. But the other guy was Bob. And everybody left the trailer except Bob one day. Bob said, man, my family, we're struggling. I said, well, what's going on? And he took a few minutes to tell me. I said, well, do you, do you want to, do you believe in prayer? And he said, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I said, well, I'll pray for you. Would you like that? I said, yeah, yeah, okay. And right there in this you know, this messy, dirty office trailer out there in the mud. We got down on our knees on that linoleum floor and we put our arms around each other and we prayed. We prayed that God would bless him and give him a new heart for his wife, tenderness toward her. And Bob becomes the 
turn, becomes another man. He just becomes different. He came to, a, he came to one of our church outings with young adults getting away for a couple days. And I continue to pray for Bob, right? Leave him with the Lord. I went on to the ministry, and I don't know where, I have no idea where Bob is today. But I trust that that was at least one link in a chain of events in his life that will ultimately connect him to the Savior. I don't have to be the one to save the person. But in any given moment, I can be a link in a chain of events in that person's life that blesses them, loves them, shows them compassion, caring, invitation, friendship, fellowship, encouragement. I can be that. Is that hard? You know what? It's the most joyful thing to live like a believer. That doesn't mean it doesn't come with criticism because it'll come. But we don't let that get us down because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. But we are called to be change agents. My prayer for you today is that as you move forward in faith as a church family, that you experience a kind of fellowship personally, together maybe in twos and threes or fours, Praying together, men with men, women with women, it's a good thing. Teaching your children to pray too. And just see what God does. Because I believe he'll bring about a fruitfulness that will not only surprise us, but will brighten, brighten your heart and the hearts of others and transform lives for the kingdom of heaven forever. I mean, just think about it. When someone comes to Christ, by your influence, you're changing the trajectory of their destiny forever. That is amazing. That is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And you hold those keys in your heart. May God bless you.